Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. Success on, on a healthy diet is just a series of small little micro successes. So saying no to that, saying yes to that, and like choosing you over and over and over again. And so my message to my clients are, you're not broken. You can have this. You can have whatever you want. You could have your ideal weight. You could have really good blood work. You could have whatever you want. You just have to choose it. And then you choose it again and again. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Fueling for performance is something that I am intimately familiar with. Whether I am recharging after my morning master's swim here in Austin, or if I'm gearing up for a big family hike through the green belt, or frankly, if I'm just got a huge day at the Plant Strong World headquarters, oats are always a key ingredient in my morning bowl. If you haven't tried our new Plant Strong granolas, you're missing out. We just launched these four guilt-free flavors in June, and members of the community have been literally gobbling them up. They come in classic oatmeal raisin, all-American apple pie, tahini chocolate chip, and crisp mixed berry crumble, which incidentally is what I had this morning over my Rips Big Bowl cereal. All are handmade in small batches. They're date-sweetened, no added sugar, oil-free, and 100% whole grain. Simply toss a bag in your backpack and you'll be always prepared when hunger strikes. Simply head over to our website at plantstrongfoods.com and pick up a sampler pack of these four all-new varieties while they're available. Can't wait to hear which one is your favorite. Now, Another announcement, if you haven't heard, our 10th anniversary plant stock celebration is online and on sale. Grab a friend and join us virtually from September 8th to the 12th as we honor all the progress that's been made over the last decade with the science, with the food, and with the movement as a whole. It is nothing short of phenomenal what has happened. This will be the perfect way to invite that family member who desperately needs a green leafy intervention to come take a drink from the fire hose and learn everything they can about the why and the how of plant strong living. And in honor of our 10th anniversary and as part of my mission to reach as many people as possible with the good news about plants, group tickets are just $10 a piece when you buy five, 10 bucks gets you access to life-changing information to help start or strengthen your Plant Strong journey. Our lineup this year includes the ultimate Brock stars. Can you say T. Colin Campbell, Caldwell Esselstyn, Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Michael Clapper, Christy Funk, Will Bolshewitz, the Shurzais, the list goes on and on and on. Don't miss out. Visit plantstrong.com slash plantstock to sign up today. Just got to give out a huge kale. Yeah. Are you feeling it? I am feeling it today. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Plant Strong Podcast with me, Rip Esselstyn. One of the many side benefits of this global Plant Strong community 
that I've been a part of now for, gosh, almost three decades, is besides offering a daily dose of health and motivation and education, are the super important and long-lasting friendships that I've developed with people along the way, especially with the pioneers who came well before me, whose shoulders I am proudly standing on top of. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about when I say when you are so invested and so passionate about something that you just can't help but develop mutual respect and deep admiration for the people that you meet on the journey. Today's guest is one of those people for me. Her name is Juliana Hever, and she and I have been contemporaries and friends in the plant-based movement for well over a decade. In fact, as we discussed today, she was the first author to actually use the phrase plant-based in the title of her first book. And now, without a doubt, plant-based is having its moment in the sun and it is not going anywhere. Since writing her first book, Juliana has written multiple books, including The Crafty Vegetarian Diet, The Health Span Solution, and the up-and-coming The Choose You Now Diet that's due to be released in December. She also just launched her own Choose You Now podcast that I was a guest on a few weeks ago. And today, we're going to turn the tables and I'm going to shine the spotlight on the marvelous career and important work of the OG, the original, plant-based dietitian herself, Juliana Hever. Hey, everybody. Rip Esselstyn with the Plant Strong Podcast. And today I have an, an old friend. We go back, gosh, probably to 2009, 2010. She is one of the OGs of, of the plant-based movement, and that's Juliana Hever. Juliana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rip. It's so nice to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to see you. I think the last time that I saw you was in February of 2020, if I'm not mistaken, and we were in the Miami airport. I think it was actually 2019 because it was really everything. And I was at the airport. We were leaving from the cruise and I ran into your whole family at the airport. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was. I think it was at maybe at the luggage. We, uh, we, we, was it right? Was it luggage? No, we were actually, we were at the ticket booth and we were <laughs> checking in to go, <laughs> to get on our flights home. And then there was a whole Esselstyn family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad one of us has a really good memory around that. <laughs> well, you gave me a bracelet that I fell in love with. You had this really cool vegetable bracelet. I was like, oh, I just loved your bracelet so much. And you actually just handed it to me and it was so nice. And I still have that. And it was really oh, nice. good. Good, good, good. So, uh, well, we got lots to talk about you, you know, you have done so much in the, in the plant-based movement. You are the plant-based dietitian and, um, and you have so many amazing insights and experience that you've gleaned, uh, over the last decade. Plus you've written four or five books. Um, you've got your podcast that you, that you started recently, so let's, I'd love to dive in first with, can you believe, Juliana, how far and how fast the movement has come in the last decade since you and I were kind of, you know, we were like, this is when it was fringe, you and I were like getting into it, right? The Engine 2 Diet, you wrote The Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. I mean, we were some of the first ones. I know it's wild. And as amazing as it is, I never foresee, I never would have foresaw, foreseen, how would you say that? I never yeah, yeah. predicted that we would be where we are now, where you see the term plant-based ubiquitously around the world. I just, it's changed so much. And we were just sitting there trying to like, you know, explain and talk. We were just shouting from the rooftops because we had seen such extraordinary things. And so much has evolved since then. It's, it's quite extraordinary to watch. Yeah. I mean, and you wrote the, the Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. And for people that's not a slight that's that's like a there's an idiot's guide to 
just about everything. Right. And, yeah. and they, and they, how did that work out that you actually wrote that book? Yeah, it's a good question. And thank you for saying that because people get offended. I'm like, no, 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 it's a whole series. They have a dummy series and an idiot's guide series. And I was approached by an agent to write the complete idiot's guide to vegan nutrition. And of course I was like, yes, I want to talk about this. And I, I got the job and I, you know, I applied and did a, you know, a, a chapter and a TOC and everything. And when I finally started writing it, I realized, you know what, I really don't want to call it vegan nutrition because I really see that there's this thing about plant-based that is more tangible and, and it's more inclusive of a definition than vegan. And I'm a dietitian. I'm not here to be on my ethical, you know, soapbox. Horse, I'm here to talk. Yeah. yeah. I just really wanted to talk about the nutrition. So I, I made a whole petition to change the title midway while I was writing and my agent's like, Oh honey, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but I think they saw I, there was enough of a compelling argument. And I think that's when your dad was on, was that, that was that CNN or was that like oh, that big? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was with Wolf Blitzer and, and Dean Ornish and my father, and it was president, or I should say the ex-president, uh, Bill Clinton was talking about how he had embraced kind of a combination of Ornish and Esselstyn and, and Campbell and all the research to reverse his heart disease. Right. So that was all happening right then. And so I think, and because I use that as part of my pitch to change the title, it was so compelling and so exciting that they, they accepted it and they were, they were on board. And I think that that was, that's when that word just got, it just became really heavily out there. It's really cool. Well, it is. I mean, I think back and I think, you know, who knows exactly, but I think the, the term plant-based was coined, if I'm not mistaken, from Colin Campbell, you yep. know, way, way back in the day. Right. Yeah. And then you tell me, were you the first person to actually write a book that had plant based in the, in the title? I, I don't know. I have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. But, but to me, and that yours came out in, in 2011, right? Yeah. Very good. 2011. And I, I think now, like I just did a quick, like look at Amazon. There are so many you know, plant-based 101, plant-based this, plant-based that, you know, we, we, I just had some people on the podcast, these nutritionists that did the plant-based toddler and babies, uh, you know, Robert Cheek and Matt Frazier just did, you know, the plant-based athlete, you, you've got so many people and it's just so fabulous that are jumping into this space that have every credential imaginable. You got Dr. Bolshewitz that's doing fiber fueled as a gastroenterologist. You've got, you know, the sure's eyes, right. That are doing, you know, basically plant-based for brain health and to ward off Alzheimer's. You've got our, our friends, Nina and Randa Nelson that, that did the clear skin diet, right. For, for acne and pimples and the list goes on and on and on. So I just, you know, I, I look at how many books it's like the plant-based diet seems to be the solution, <laughs> for pimples, for heart disease, for diabetes, for metabolic syndrome, for, you know, Alzheimer's, it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. And I feel like the most, to me, the most surprising, like, okay, we're in a different world now was I was in Thailand right before the COVID started. And in Thailand, we went onto a random Island in the middle of nowhere, got off the boat and said, Oh, where should we eat lunch? And we went to some random little restaurant on this tiny little Island off Phuket. And the restaurant had an entire plant-based menu. Like it's everywhere. What, what were you doing in Thailand? Were you holding a retreat or something? Yes. I was doing some culinary retreats and doing some touring. Oh my gosh. It sounds fabulous. Fabulous. Do you have, do you have, do you have any, um, any retreats or anything on the horizon? Yes. Well, of course I had some planned last year that had to be pushed. So I'm hoping to announce soon that we're going to do a plant-based tour in France. And that's probably going to be in June. Now we're, we're trying to hold down those dates, but it's, so it's another year. I can't wait. And then as soon as Thailand opens, I can't wait to go back to Thailand. Wow. How luxurious. And, <laughs> and have you, have you like, or you and your team been doing research to find out like, where are some plant-based restaurants you can visit in France? 
Well, I've never been to Franz yet. Okay. I'm trying to go, but this company actually does this. Like they've done these tours and it's all like they have the chefs laid out and it's like these, everything is completely vegan. Everything is like, you know, even the wine is vegan. So it's going to be kind of a fun adventure, not, not necessarily a health retreat type of thing, more of a fun way to see France and yeah. see it without having to think about the food and enjoy the food. Wonderful. So this is season three of the Plant Strong podcast. And this, one of the things I like to ask every guest is when was your Galileo moment? So like Juliana, when were you like, oh my gosh, like the light bulb went on and you realized I've got to go plant-based or, you know, vegan, however you want to call it. And, and what was the compelling reasons? What was the impetus for that? Such a good question. I've been following this question that you're asking this season and I love it so much. And I, my journey was long and it was like, it was kind of weird as in the stars, it all kind of unfolded to go back to Galileo in a very interesting way. But it all started when I was a teenager and I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I was an actress, a dancer, and I was always told to go on a diet for, you know, like just to be on camera, to be on stage. And so I was always really interested in studying that stuff anyway, nutrition and I was reading and reading and reading and one book that popped up in my queue in like the 80s when this all started, not to date myself, but (laughs) was John Robbins' Diet for a New America. And that planted a major seed. In fact, I just interviewed him recently and talked about this because it was like a big aha moment for me. But I wasn't ready yet because, well, there was no internet. There was, you know, I didn't know anybody that was eating this way. So I was kind of like just winging it. You know, I didn't have, there was no idiot's guide to eating this way. There was no there were no books about this yet. So that I knew of. So I tried it and I just was eliminating animal products. And so what does that mean? I didn't even really know how to cook. So my mom was like, okay, you want, I'll make the steak and you could eat the, whatever the side dish. I would eat the side dish. I would eat the, you know, granola bars. I was not the optimal diet. And so they were worried because they're good parents. And so they had an intervention. (laughs) They, 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 They literally had an intervention. They called their friend Candy, who's a nurse, uh-huh. and we went to a steakhouse and they proceeded to tell me that I'm going to be iron deficient and B12 deficient and protein, all of that. And they made me order a teriyaki steak with a pineapple ring on top. And I remember when that steak got there, in fact, I wrote about this in vegetarian diet because it was kind of traumatizing because it's like once you know and you've got this mind frame around something, it's hard to unknow. It's hard to you know, ignore that. And it meant a lot to me. So, but I did, I got scared and I didn't want to be deficient and all that stuff. So I took a bite of that steak and slowly, slowly went back to what standard Western diets look like anyway. But I kept thinking, okay, vegetarians aren't just dying off. Like there's more to this story, you know? So I kept studying it, but it wasn't until I went through graduate school in nutrition and became a registered dietitian where I really learned how to find out where you get your protein and iron from and dig into the literature and look at the statistics and do an actual analysis on my own and not just rely on someone else's messaging. And when I finished that, and that's when I had kids. So I was sitting at home because you have nothing to do when you have kids, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but How I many kids do you have? I have two teenagers. Wow. Okay. Okay. So yeah. anyway, so you're home twiddling your thumbs because you got nothing to do. Yeah. And that's when I started looking back at the science. And that's when I met Dr. Campbell. And he kind of mentored me a lot through this. I started teaching for the eCornell course. And I started learning. I was like, first of all, I changed my diet very first. I'm like, I'm just going to do this. And I learned a little bit what that means. And everything changed for my health. Like I had lifelong acne that disappeared, like you said about Nina and Randa. I had um, sinus infections I would get all the time. Like my whole life I suffered with sinus infections. My whole life I suffered with GI problems and like nothing ever helped. And as soon as I changed my diet, as I always say, results are typical, I got completely better. And it was like, this was it. Oh my gosh, I had to implement that with my clients. And and that's when I started doing this work and the, the book came and then Dr. Oz show call, like all this stuff just kind of unfolded. And it was like, I just wanted to talk about it because it was so extraordinary. Yeah. So the first book, the complete idiots, I love saying <laughs> the complete idiots died to plant-based nutrition. What do you find is the biggest mistake that beginners make when they're starting a plant-based diet? The biggest mistake has changed since I wrote that book. That uh-huh. book is now 10 years old. I wrote a version two of it. It actually has sold a hundred thousand, more over a hundred thousand copies, which is quite exciting. That is exciting. But, uh, 
for me, it was a big deal. And, um, and what ch it's changed a lot though, that as we said at the beginning, things have changed so much. So back then it would be like, oh, people didn't know what to eat. So they were, you know, I don't know, veering off and maybe doing the oils and the sugars and stuff like that. But now everything you could eat, I could eat vegan has changed the world. And now I have literally been having clients come to me for the first time in 16 years this started about three, four years ago with the same health problems as omnivore, omnivores, like people that they're having high blood pressure and high cholesterol and they can't lose the weight. And, and you look at their diet. I always look at the food journal and there's all of these products that are on the market, the vegan mm -hmm. candies and cookies and ice creams and cheeses. And there's just everything. And I'm seeing that that's the biggest mistake now. So now, you know, that's like, it's very, it's hyper palatable. It's intriguing. It's exciting. And it's, you know, it's changing the way we have to look at plant-based diet. So isn't that interesting? So it is, so along with the accelerated pace of the plant-based movement, there's also been an accelerated pace of all the new products that are hitting the grocery store shelves, Beyond Meat, Impossible, Diet Cheese, Earth Balance, all that stuff. I was, I was in a store the other day, just you know, looking at labels and I couldn't believe the number of frozen plant-based entrees, pizzas, burritos, enchiladas, and every one of them had, if it was like a, a 600 calorie serving size, at least half of that or more was coming from fat, right? And typically three or four different types of oils. Mm -hmm. So that is so fascinating to me that, that that's what you're seeing. And I get it. So it's the, it's, it's the, um, it's the vegan junk food that's just <laughs> that's out there in spades calling people's names. Right. And that's another reason I like the term that Colin coined at whole food plant-based because, you know, when you say vegan, all that means it's an exclusive definition. It means I don't eat anything with animals versus a whole food plant-based diet means I eat whole plant foods. And I think that that's more understandable and it's more specific. And so I think that that, you know, that, that eliminates eating these highly processed foods, no matter whether they have animals or not. Yeah. I'm going to move on from the complete idiot's guide to plant-based nutrition to, I think it was your second book. And if not, not mistaken, that was the vegetarian diet, right? No. So I did. Well, first I did a complete idiot's guide to gluten-free vegan cooking. That was oh. a cookbook for the gluten-free vegans. And that was, that was interesting because I was gluten-free and it was, it was, so that was challenging at the time. They didn't have all the gluten-free products like they do now too. So I did that with uh, Beverly Lynn Bennett and we did a bunch of recipes that were all both. And that, I think that, I think gluten-free is way harder than plant-based a million times harder to go gluten-free. Wow. Um, so there was that in the interim. And then the next one that you were referring to is. So, the so let me ask you this while you're on that. So, and what, so what's your opinion on gluten-free and how many people actually have a, a gluten intolerance and should be staying away from gluten? Great question. I, I said, this is what the book was about. If you have celiac disease, you have to avoid gluten. There's no question. If you have an allergy to either gluten or wheat or one of those derivatives, you have to eliminate that from your diet. If you have an intolerance, there seems to be more and more people that have this intolerance to certain things, to many different things. And intolerance could mean all sorts of things. It could mean, it's not like anaphylaxis, like a real true allergy, but it could be like your stomach is upset or, you know, maybe you, you break out in a rash if you eat this. So depending on, the, there's a wide, broad spectrum of of symptoms and response to gluten or wheat or whatever it is. And so it, I tell people that if you're in that category, that's up to you. Like, what well, can you tolerate? Do you want to? Because there's nothing inherently bad about a bar, bowl of barley, right? It's, it's a healthy food. It's not, there's nothing evil about gluten or something dangerous about gluten. People have like vilified it. Like it's a dangerous thing, but unless you've got celiac or a true allergy, it could be fine in your diet and it could be healthy. I think what I've noticed too, is that people think, oh, I do so much better. The people that say, oh, I feel so much better without gluten. It's because they're cutting out cookies and cakes and, mm. you know, refined breads and stuff like that. And they're having, and they're having to focus on eating wholer foods. And I think that's why the people that don't have those severe conditions do better when they eliminate it. But for the general population, if you really are fine with it, there's no reason to avoid it. Yeah. And so you wrote that second book, the complete idiot's guide to gluten-free, was it gluten-free baking or, or no, it was, cooking? It was gluten-free <laughs> vegan cooking. Okay. <laughs> That's a mouthful. 
yeah, narrowing it down, vegan, gluten-free cooking. That's so how did that book do? Oh, very niche, very niche, because how many people are vegan, yeah. let alone then? That was also 2011, I think, 2000, I think it was 2011. And how many people are gluten-free and vegan? So it was yeah. a limited audience. Yeah. 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 A subset within a subset. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, was that, and whose idea was that to do a Them, gluten? The okay. publishers. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I mean, you, sometimes you never know till you put it out in the universe. You True. Know? True. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And okay, I learned so, a lot. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to your third book, The Vegetarian no, so this is a trick of the mouth. So it's, it's so hard to say. Vegetarian, vegetarian. Yes. yes. The vegetarian diet. Okay, and tell us what that was about. Right. Well, as the name sort of implies, even though it's a trick of the to get it out, <laughs> is that it's basically I wanted. Okay, so I was I was speaking on a cruise in the Mediterranean, and look, I was with my mom accompanying me, and we're sitting in our room, and I'm looking at the gorgeous Mediterranean Ocean. I'm like why does a Mediterranean diet get so many, so many good props? Like they, it's always like the diet of the year and it's so fabulous. And like, what, how is that possible when you look at the evidence of a plant-based diet? Like there's, it just did never made sense to me. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And so that's what I did. I went all the way back to the history of where the Mediterranean diet started. And I uncovered that it's not the olive oil, the fish and the wine that makes that population have healthy yeah. um, benefits. It's actually that it was generally at the beginning, a mostly whole food plant-based diet, like almost completely plant-based and the olive oil. So then I dug into why the olive oil fit in and I, cause it was time of the scarcity and they needed calories. So olive oil is a great way to get concentrated yeah. calorie, but that didn't mean it was healthy. So I kind of broke down all the myths about that. And then of course I had to do a ton of recipes. It's so funny. Cause when I first did my first book, they said, okay, you have six weeks write this book and 50 recipes. And I went 50 recipes. I'm like, I'm a dietitian. Like I know medicine. I know health. I never learned how to cook. What are you talking about? And I had a toddler and an infant and I had to teach myself how to cook and develop recipes and write a book in six weeks. And you did it. I did. It was crazy. Oh. So this, so now every book I've done has turned into, I've become a, a recipe developer. It just like just happened. Um, Galileo, right, is in the stars. I don't know how it unfolded, but it did. And I actually now I love I love cooking and doing. I'm just finishing my eighth book of recipes, and um, the, so the vegetarian had Mediterranean styled recipes too. So stuff from the Middle East and from Italy and Greece, and that was fun too because I just love that palette. Yeah, and, and 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 in your research for that book, and and I apologize. Did it did it originate in Crete in the 1950s? Was that the true like healthy Mediterranean? diet. Yes. That's when it was studied. And I go back to all of Ansel Key's work and it was amazing the work that they did. And, and it's changed so much that if you look at what's happening there now, they've adapted their diet, like most of the world, and they don't have those same benefits that they did originally. So it really is a whole food plant-based diet really is the best diet that we know of, because Anytime you evaluate that, if you look at Okinawa, it's a primarily whole food plant-based diet. If you look at the world's healthiest populations, I love Dan Buettner's work, you know, the blue zones, yeah. they were eating mostly whole plant foods. Yeah. I, I, I heard Jeff Novick, as I'm sure you probably did speak a, a lot, especially between 2010 and 2015. And he has a great lecture on kind of the Mediterranean diet and, uh, and, and how it originated in Crete. And, you know, you've got all these different, you know, countries that surround the Mediterranean and which one is the true Mediterranean diet? Cause each one has a little bit different way of eating. And, right. you know, you look at Greece now, for example, and they're the 16th, the last time I checked the 16th, uh, most overweight country on the planet, right? Really? So <laughs> they're obviously not following the traditional Mediterranean or vegetarian diet. <laughs> there you go. You got it. Vegetarian. It's brilliant. Okay. So let's move on to okay. uh, another book that you wrote, the health span, the health span solution. I actually have that one right here. Awesome. And I, and I know that um, we were talking before and you love this book. You love everything that's in it. Can you let us know what do you mean by the health span solution? So the reason I love this book, first of all, is because I finally got my color photos and my recipes. <laughs> it took me all these years and, and it's gorgeous. It is absolutely ridiculously gorgeous. Really. I was thinking, oh my God, this photography, these dishes. Wow. Nice job. 
Thank you. I didn't do the photography and I'm working with the same publisher for the next book because I was so excited about it. That's what I was really excited about the most. Um, but I'm also excited because I was kind of, plant-based became a thing. And then I added to what I was learning about health span, the health span and longevity data. And that kind of, that to me was a really interesting perspective of maybe the, because I went around the world for 12, 14 years saying, no, you can get your protein. No, you can get your iron, but better in plants. Like I was, my mission was to defend the nutrient adequacy of a plant-based diet. Yeah. Right. That was always the number one question. I know, you know, like, where do you get your protein? Where do you get your this? Where do you... And that's what I did. That was literally what I would do at all the talks I gave, all the Q and A's that I gave all over the world. And I realized when I read this stuff about health span and the longevity stuff, that it actually turns out that more, less may be more that the only way we've ever extended healthspan and longevity and all the model organisms that have been tested from a dietary perspective, these like the yeast, the primate cousins, everything in between was with dietary restriction without malnutrition. Mm. And it looks like a whole food plant-based diet does just that. And maybe that's one of the mechanisms by which it is so efficacious at reducing chronic disease, reversing as your father so brilliantly, brilliantly showed, uh, disease like this it's maybe the fact that it's not high in essential amino acids and high in heme iron and all that stuff is why it is so effective and so i've moved my work i, I played around with the work and it's now more about like how do we use this to optimize health span because that's the goal right you want to be healthy we want to live longer not just live longer right <laughs> we want to actually have a full and healthy active life and then just go to sleep and be done at 150 or whatever yeah yeah well and the, the subtitle is how and what to eat to add life to your years and that's the thing and you and i know so many people that they have a stroke they have a heart attack they you know have a shot across the bow with a major cancer at the age of 50 55 and um, their life has been basically has been compromised now to a, to a big extent in the last 15, 20, 25 years of their life are not lived to their fullest by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so <clears throat> tell me this with health span, just so we can like talk about this in an intelligent manner, you have, I think 10 different health span habits. You want to talk about some of those? I'll have to remember them because actually you're sitting I, oh, on no, no. Book right you don't now. have to remember them. I can, I can <laughs> lob ball them to you if you'd Perfect. like, but sure. uh, so the, yeah, but the first one is don't be driven by diet dogma. Yes. So basically what that was, that list of the 10 health span habits yeah. is basically a summary of how to approach lifestyle. Cause it's not, it's diet is number one. Diet is the number one cause of early death and disability in the world. Now we all know that. But there's other factors too. So in those 10, we can go through each if you want, but in those 10, we include, you know, like circadian rhythm. So sleep and light and, and um, exercise and movement activity. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because as I'm aging, as we're all aging, uh, you know, I'm starting to think about things differently. I've got these two teenagers. It's like, okay, you know, do I really need to like go try to, you know, run another marathon or do I really need to be, no, I really don't. Like, I'm not feeling that way anymore. Like, I just want to feel good. And so your perspectives change as the decades go by. And so we definitely talk about being active rather than, you know, hardcore exercise and CrossFit and all this stuff that's like really intense and it's not necessarily sustainable for a lot of people and that's okay. So yeah, but dogma, the first one is about, there's so many things out there. I always say everyone eats or everyone has an opinion about what we should eat and it's just confusing. And I, you know, everyone ends up so confused that they're just like, forget it. I'm just going to go have fast food because I just... Should I have yeah. oil? Should I not have oil? Should I have carbs are bad? Lectins are bad. Like all of these things. It's like overwhelming for people. Uh, we'll, we'll move on from there, but I want to ask you. So speaking of, um, you know, everybody's got their opinions and everything. Have you brought your parents around or your mom and dad? Are they like plant-based now? Are they supportive of the, the path you've, you've chosen? Oh, Rip. It's so interesting that you asked me that question because of what you just said, actually it brought that up. My parents have been, you know, my fans of me as their daughter and they've come, they came when we did um, Meals for Health, they came to yeah. all of those and they were watching all of us do that. And they came to all my talks, they've read my books and they've flirted with it over the years. But last on um, February, my father, they were in Mexico. They have a, they live in Mexico part-time. They, my father had a stroke and he almost died and he was in the hospital. And when he finally came to, 
And I was stuck without a passport, which was really frustrating because I was here in Los Angeles. But I got him on FaceTime for the first time. It was probably a week in or something when he finally was conscious enough. Because my mom at that point was like, okay, send me your book. Because I couldn't come down. What recipes? I'm like, you have all these recipes. So I was sending her recipes. I'm like, come on, you could do this. And my dad looked at me. I'm like, dad, do you know what happened? He's like, yeah. Hey, I know. I'm like, you know that, you know, that this is what I do for my work. I help people in this situation, either avoid it or reverse it. It's like, yeah, I know. So, well, dad, I, I want to help you. He's like, yeah, Joel, but I have to want to be helped. And it hurt. And he has, they forced him to eat healthy for a while. He was in the hospital for a month. And they since have come back and I've gone out to lunch with him. He's having pulled pork and all the stuff that got him into trouble in the first place. And he just doesn't mm. care. But the doctors, to be fair, his doctor said to him, and thank goodness for your dad and all these amazing physicians out there that have, and the researchers that have changed the narrative in healthcare. But there are still so many doctors, including my father's doctor, who said to him, don't have coffee, don't have alcohol, doesn't matter what you eat. And unfortunately, you hear that, and all of a sudden, if you don't have both feet in that believing in eating whole food plant-based, that's all you need to say, oh, okay, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to go there. But I'm sure that you're, there's, there's a side of your dad that understands what he needs to do. But like you said, he just isn't willing to, to commit for who knows why. You know, Rip, for like, I've been doing this for a long time. And I was a personal trainer for many years while I was in graduate school. So like 25 years, I've been in health and fitness industry. And for the first most majority of those years, I was trying so hard to convince everyone. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is amazing. No, this will change your life and it'll make you feel better. It'll give you all, everything, you know? And I realized that I'm banging my head against the wall. And it was frustrating me because I wasn't, I couldn't convince them. And I finally came to peace and I succumbed or surrendered to the idea that you have to want it. You have to have your why no matter what. There's no one else is going to force you or be able to convince you to do so if you don't want it. Yeah. And we, I mean, <laughs> I look at some of the people that are closest in my life as well, and they have no interest either. Right. And same thing with my father and my mother. It's like they have, they're staring at the answer all the time. And yet, I don't know if it's because of they're being rebellious or they just feel such an attachment to their, you know, to the old food. So I'm going to transition because you guys, you have a quote in the health span solution and it's, you will find your new favorite foods, but it won't likely happen until after the old food has been off the plate for some time. It's a transition. You know, I mean, I love food. I consider myself a foodie. Like, you know, that's, it matters to me. I'm passionate about food. I want, I'm, love my food. I love to enjoy and savor every bite. I'm like, that's, I built my entire career on food. And, but you know, it's an, it's a change when you're used to certain things, when you're used to, especially a hyper palatable palate that most people are the standard Western diet. That is, it's so like dopamine hitting and it's so it lights up your brain in a certain way that transition to simpler, wholer foods takes a period of time. And there's biochemistry and physiology to explain all this. This is like not yeah. that anyone's broken and no one's broken. We're just used to eating a certain way. And I always liken it to learning a new language. You learn a few new letters and words. You get a few new ingredients that you maybe never tried. And then you translate that into sentences and paragraphs with new recipes that you find your new favorite recipes that you love, that you should love your food. I think everyone don't, don't eat. If you hate broccoli, don't eat broccoli. There's a million other things that you yeah. can eat. And then you become fluent. It becomes your language. You look at the plate a different way. It's it's delicious. I love to eat. And I, and I, I always have a goal of, I used to have these big gatherings of, I'd have friends and family over. And my goal was always to get everyone to leave very, very full and very, very happy. And to all, and they used to always say, I can't believe there was no animal products. You know, that was like tempt them through their tummy, right? Like you do that really well too. It's like food matters. Yeah. Well, I always tell people that's how I got a bunch of Texas male firefighters to do this right? <laughs> by, exactly. by just taking their favorite foods and just plant strongifying them. Um, <laughs> right. Right. So, so, so as they said, this is fantastic, right? <laughs> so you said that first book, you wrote it in six weeks, you had like a toddler, uh, you were, you learned to cook. So do you, is it fair to say that you now love to cook? I love to cook. I've, I've, it's transitioned so far that when I'm stressed or when anything, like I feel like the most comforted, 
the most ah. comfortable in the kitchen. And I'll just, even if I'm not hungry, I'll just go in there and just meal prep. I'll just be like, I just want to chop. I just want to put things together. I put on some music and I'm in my happy place. So let's say that me and the guys at fire station two, we're going to come over for a little dinner, right? You're, you're going to mm -hmm. host us for dinner. What, what would you serve us? Ooh, I would probably take a long time to think about it because I'd want it to be just perfect, but that would be really fun. I hope that you guys are actually going to make that happen. I would <laughs> make the sriracha stuffed mushrooms from the Healthspan solution because those are a crowd pleaser. I would make a huge, enormous, like you say, shock and awe salad. <laughs> I love that yeah. delicious salad with an amazing dressing. I, I love to make a nut or seed based dressing that's creamy and that's what I had for lunch today. Wait, wait, wait. So tell me, tell me before you go on, what are some of the ingredients in that dressing? The one I made today, I actually posted on my Instagram story. So it's a chipotle sauce. It's like a um, Southwest sauce. It's, it's cashew and there's uh, smoked paprika and cayenne. I like everything really hot yeah. and nutch, nutritional yeast. Yeah. And I put red bell peppers was like the liquid. Cause it, you know, gets it really, it, it really dissolves into a lot. There's a lot of water in there and a little bit of ketchup and lime juice. That's it. Wow. Ketchup. I never would have thought of ketchup, ketchup and lime juice. And um, do your, do your teenagers like your cooking? Are they plant plant-based? Oh my goodness. My teenagers. So I have not really lived with them for quite a while. It's been this kind of crazy on and off again, living yep. with them. And so they are mostly with their dad because I have super healthy food in my house and they rather be with their dad where they don't have such super healthy food. So it's been a journey. But my daughter, when she got into water polo and into boys, she's like, okay, mom, I'm ready to, to go back to doing what you said. So what do I do? And she's like, listen, and I know, you know, I work with a lot of families and a lot of kids and the parents of the kids. And I know what you're supposed to do. And we didn't because me and my ex were not on the same page about food, unfortunately, I'm really unfortunately because that's my children. But, um, but yeah. they know what they, the most important thing with the research anyway, is that you role model it because they don't listen to anything you say, but they watch what you do. So they've always seen me eat this way. And I know that when they're trying, even their dad, they will go in this direction. They will eat this food, but yeah. um, it, it's not as pretty and seamless as I wish it were with them. Yeah. Um, okay. So I interrupted you, you were telling, you were going into the, the dinner that you would, you would serve the guys at firehouse too. Hey, what else? So we do a huge shock and all salad, some stuffed mushrooms. Maybe I would do the spaghetti squash lasagna. That's from the new book that's coming. It's really kind of fun. Um, I would do a huge fruit. I have a, some fruit bowls in this healthspan solution that are like fruit and salads and nuts and seeds are like some nice little um, flavorings. So I do that for dessert, like a big old bowl of deliciousness, of colorful Ooh. deliciousness. I don't know. I'd probably make you 20 different dishes just so you can taste everything. <laughs> And what would you serve for a, for a beverage? Ah, what's your, what's, your, what's your beverage of choice? I am quite a tea girl, but I love to make a big batch of iced in the summer hibiscus green tea. I have this great hibiscus green tea that has mushrooms in it, but you would never know if I didn't tell you. So it's got the immune enhancing properties and it's so delicious. So I'll make a huge batch of, of iced tea to have on tap. And then we'd have some sparkling water and whatever else you wanted. <laughs> um, I, okay, I'm loving, I'm loving this conversation. And what about spices? What are your, some of your go-to spices and hot sauces? Cause you said you like it hot. <laughs> I do. I mean, like I, when I was in Thailand I've got some very good friends in Thailand. They can't believe how I could out spicy them. Cause they'll say at the restaurant, they'll say Thai spicy or spicy. And my friends will say, oh, she wants Thai spicy. <laughs> Cause like, I like it hot. So. I like, I've been doing, trying to do it with more seasoning so you can minimize the salt. So I love hot sauce. Like I love all the different types of hot sauces, but some of them tend to be higher in sodium. And so yes. I'll do like chili flakes, red chili flakes. I love chipotle powder. I love um, um, chili powders, like there's different kinds. I also love curries and that kind of hot too. And then I just discovered for this new book, Togut, I'm going to mess it up. Togodashi, I think it is. It's a Japanese spice. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So do you like, um, like jalapenos and habaneros and yes, I could eat them like this, like a pepper, <laughs> even a habanero. I think so. Have I had a habanero? You know what I had? I tried was a ghost pepper like that. And that was kind of scary. I think that was a little too much for me. No, I've heard ghost is like right at the top. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of uh, <laughs> 
All right. Let's say, so, you know, that my father and also um, one of the books that I wrote, the engine Two seven day rescue uh, diet, we're big fans of green leafies, right? And, And can you believe, can you believe how far the research has come on the green leafies and how fantastic they are just in the 10 years since you and I first started? Extraordinary. It's, I always sign off my podcast. I sign all my, all my books. I've always autographed with leafy green love, but um, I interviewed your dad in 2010, I think for my movie, I did an infotainment documentary. Do we get you in there? Did I know you yet? Uh, and your dad did his green leafy green song. And it was the most beautiful song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> his rap. It's his, his rap. rap. Yeah. Brilliant. But so Brilliant. what, what are some of the ways you like to get in green leafies? Uh, like, do you like putting um, a dressing on top of them? Do you like to steam them? Do you like to eat them raw? Any particular yes. favorites? Yes. Well, I always talk about nutrifying your recipes. Like you just said, plant strongifying. So it's like nutrifying. I want you to have green, leafy greens and cruciferous with everything. So I make them, I, I had a big salad with tons of different leafy greens, like a whole array of different leafy greens. Definitely you can have them cooked. I like to steam them. I literally, if I'm making pasta, like my kids were big pasta junkies when I did live with them for their first 14 years, whatever, I would always throw in broccoli at the end or spinach or kale at the end of the cooking of the pasta, like just getting greens in everywhere. Like everything should have green. (laughs) I agree. When was the last time you had animal products of any, of any kind? Well, I've had accidental bites a couple of times over the years. Yeah. I don't remember the last time. And is there anything that you miss about animal products or animal byproducts? No, no, nothing. I love my food. I love eating plants. It's extraordinary. It's changed everything for me. Yeah. What do you think of cheese? I'm not talking about vegan cheese. I'm talking about cheese. It's the first thing I recommend people cut out, no matter what their goals are. It helps with everything to eliminate dairy, especially cheese. And it's, that's what caused my, in fact, I had a conversation with my mom the other day. I'm like, what was dad eating right before? Cause you know, you think about the blood, the lipemic that the state after you eat a high fat diet and how that could lead. That's when those events tend to take place a big stroke or a heart attack. And my mom said, Oh, you don't know what he was eating before. I'm like, Oh, I can guess like, no, it was cheese on everything. And I mean, that almost killed him. So, but I've seen over the 16 years of teaching clients one-on-one, I've seen people get rid of not only the acne, asthma, sinus infections, um, uh, skin infections, autoimmune conditions, cholesterol goes down, blood pressure, normal, like everything changes when you cut out dairy. It's the first thing I recommend. Yeah. I, I refer to cheese as dairy crack. <laughs> it's just, it is casomorphines, right? Yep. It is. It is trouble with a capital T. Tell us, give us just a little bit of a glimpse into the book you're working on that it's going to come out later. I think later this year. December. And and I and then I'd I'd love to get you back on the podcast when that book drops, but give us a little teaser. Okay, well I'm excited about this. So it's called the Choose You Now Diet, and like my podcast, the Choose You Now Podcast. But both of these concepts emerged from my work, from my conversations with clients, because my day job is working one on one with people to help them transform their diet. And I do a lot of weight loss. It's turned into a lot of weight loss transformations with a plant based diet. But I, the, what happens when you talk about food? And this is what my TEDx talk was about. It's all about how deeply personal and social. And, and I mean, it's, there's so much embedded into food. It's not just what we're eating. It's like our love, our family, our culture, our religion, our, our history, our every tie is always centered on food. So when I'm taking my clients on this journey and I'm having these very intimate conversations, like I love my work. Like I just, it, it's so, um, oh, it's so rewarding because I'm, deeply in their lives and I'm rooting for them. And I'm, I'm like, text me. I had someone call me. He had a bag of McDonald's next to him and he had, a, I had to talk him off the ledge and make him throw out the McDonald's. But um, it's so beautiful when you realize why you eat certain things. And like, like if my dad would let me talk to him, but like the stuff that comes up and really success on, on a healthy diet is just a series of small little micro successes. So saying no to that, saying yes to that and like choosing you over and over and over again. And so my message to my clients are, you're not broken. You can have this. You can have whatever you want. You could have your ideal weight. You could have really good blood work. You could have whatever you want. You just have to choose it. And then you choose it again and again and again. Uh, I, I love it. I want to have a whole conversation with you just about that. 
And and the the Choose You Now podcast, when did you launch that? Valentine's Day, because it was all about being in love with yourself, <laughs> loving yourself. Like that whole concept of the oxygen mask on a mag- on an airplane where you put yeah. the I have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help anyone else. It's about choosing you so you can be your best self for everyone else. But it all starts with you making those choices for yourself. Do you find that most people are not in love with themselves? Ooh, Rip, that's such an interesting question. I think I'm sure that's true sometimes. I think people are afraid to want to take care of themselves because they don't want to be selfish. They think that they need to, especially, you know, mothers and women, especially, but a lot of people really believe that we have to nurture everyone else around us. But then then what happens ultimately is not only you not well and sacrificing your well-being, but you're also not your best self for everyone around you. So it's a win-win to look within and figure out what you can, how to love yourself better and take care of yourself and nourish yourself from inside and out so that you could be your best version for everything else in your life and everything else. Just it's a win-win situation. Juliana, um, the passion is just oozing out of every pore of your body. I love it. Your big, wonderful smile being one of the OGs of, of the plant-based movement. This is a, a joy to have you on the Plant Strong Podcast. It's been way too long. And, and, and I look forward to doing more of these with you. Thank you so much, Rip. I can't tell you how much it means to me. It's so wonderful. You're, and keep up all your extraordinary work. I'm so grateful for everything uh, you're doing out there. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, let's, let's sign off together. Ready? Peace. Peace. Turn it around. Engine two. Engine two. Keep it plant strong. Plant strong. Yeah. What a beautiful concept. Choose you now. Congratulations, Juliana. I cannot wait to read the new book and have you back on the podcast when it's released this winter. In the meantime, gang, for all resources and links from today's show, visit the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. Next week, I share the mic with another pioneer, a man whom Time Magazine referred to as the conscience of the food movement, Mr. Gene Bauer, president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Ann Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.